continue to to grieve over the loss of a loved one, but we also celebrate this morning with the Bailey family as they had a new one come in, and now we get to call some people great-grandparents, which is fun for us. And so we are uh, excited about that, excited about having a new family member of our own uh, in there. And so uh, praise God when he gives us children. All right, Uh, First John, you'll remember uh, that a couple of weeks ago that we started this process of looking at First John and looking at the test that First John gives us about the assur- for the assurance of our salvation. Remember, we're not answering the question this morning, how are you saved? We've already answered that previously. This morning, the question that we're answering is how do I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I am his child? How can I know that he has done this act in me? What evidences are there in my life? What tests can I take to to know that? Again, none of this, none of this earns your salvation. None of this, doing any of this by itself doesn't get you anywhere. However, they're like indicator lights that say, hey, this is true or this is not true in your life. And so I hope that you will take it that way. And my prayer for you this morning is similar to the prayer that I had for you and for us last week, that we would be transparent before the word of God this morning, that we'd be transparent with the Holy Spirit this morning. As as we take these tests, as we look at the questions that are posed by Scripture and posed to us this morning through this sermon, that we would answer honestly about, is this describing me? And if it's not, why? Why is it not describing me? And so our test this morning is righteousness. Um, and we'll be looking at that together this morning. And so hopefully you found First John. Um, you should have been expecting it. We are in chapter 3, verse 10 this morning. Um, and so if you would stand this morning so we can read that, um, that verse together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let me pray with you. Father, we come before you this morning and Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together this morning as a family. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to rejoice with parts of our family over new birth and new life and how exciting that is. And and Lord, I pray that we would do that well. Lord, we also are thankful for being able to come alongside those who are mourning and grieving. Lord, that we can be a comfort to them just as they have been a comfort to us and how you are always a comfort to us. Father, help us to be the family, the church family, Lord, that you would desire us to be for one another and for your glory. Father, I pray this morning as we look at your word, Lord, that you would open it up to us, open up your word to us, that we could understand it, that it would be clear. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would know, that we would know that we are yours. Lord, that we would observe this test in our lives. We would answer honestly, what is happening in our hearts, Lord, and that would lead us to either great praise or, Lord, it would lead us to our knees before the cross where we might find you. Lord, I pray that you would speak this morning. pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
So as I said, our second test this morning is the test of righteousness. Now last week, our first test, as we looked at 1 John, was about obedience and about doing that which the Lord has commanded us. But John shifts just slightly here in, in his text to look at something a little different. And it's a reoccurring theme. Just like last week when we looked at obedience, there was a reoccurring theme throughout it, and he shared different aspects, so too he does this with righteousness. It reoccurs in chapter 1, verses 8, then all the way through chapter 2, verse 2. Then he picks it up again in chapter 2, verse 28, through verse, and then through chapter 3, verse 10. And then he picks up finally in chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to trace righteousness through those texts this morning together and look at some of the different aspects, the different questions that are posed to us this morning because of what he says about this test and what he presents to us. But before we do that, I want to take a quick look at the difference between obedience and righteousness. Because if, if uh, we just take kind of a cursory glance, uh, just a, a quick look at these two objects, these two subjects, it can be very confusing and we can tend to think that maybe they're the same thing. But obedience and righteousness are not the same. They are different um, and they have different aspects. Obedience, obedience revolves around doing the right thing. Obedience revolves around doing the right thing. We are given a commandment whether to do something or not do something, and we do that. We act upon what we have been told, and thus we are obedient. However, righteousness is a little different. Righteousness, first and foremost, is an attribute of God. Righteousness, first and foremost, is an attribute of God. God alone is righteous. He alone is perfect. He alone is holy. He alone is just. Okay? In a way that we can never be. But the amazing thing is that he allows us or and he grants us his righteousness. And we're going to talk about that here in a moment. But it's it's that attribute of his that he imputes to us rather than an action that we take. I kind of think of it this way, and, I, and I, I, this is the best example that I could come up with in, in this week as I was thinking about this, but it's kind of like being a clean person, okay? It's kind of like being a clean person. Now, when I was a child, I was fairly obedient when mom and dad told me, go clean your room. But they had to tell me to go clean my room. Like, you would walk in and mom... Mom very rarely used the word disaster when she described my room. War zone was more like what she would usually say. And so she would, she would look at it and just be like, no, this is not going to work. You need to clean your room. And, and for the most part, I was a good kid and I would clean my room. Okay, And so therefore, you could call me obedient. All right? But you could not call me clean. Okay, There's a difference there, right? There's obedience and then there's the actual act. And then there is Lisa, the golden child, okay? You walked into Lisa's room, and it looked like no one lived there, all right? It was like, a child lives here? That's not possible. Like, everything's got its place. Everything's got its order. Lisa doesn't like chaos. She likes order and organization and cleanliness. And so mom and dad never had to tell her, they never had to tell her to clean her room because it was already part of who she was. 
Does that make sense? She is clean. Now, she was obedient in other things, but she was clean just because of who she was. I was obedient, but I was not clean. Okay? Big difference. Big difference. The same is true when we look at obedience and righteousness. You can be obedient. You can check everything off the list that there is to check and not be righteous. Because you can't earn that. That is something that God imputes on you. That's something that God puts on your account that you could not have earned, you could not have done. And not only that, but then he puts the Holy Spirit in you so that you may walk in this righteousness that he has imputed to your record. Something that he has given to you. And so I want you to understand this morning as we talk about righteousness, it's easy to kind of see that there is overlap and they do somewhat go hand in hand, but there is a difference between these two tests. Because you can you can have righteousness to a certain extent and not be obedient. That, that's hard to do, but it, I guess it's possible. And the flip is true. You can be obedient and not have righteousness. So it's important for us to look at both of these tests. Well, if you're going to have any test, then you need to have test questions. Now, some of you are like, I didn't come here for a pop quiz, but, well, tough it out. So we have some test questions, okay? And we're going to look at these test questions in the order that they come up in our text of 1 John. We look first at 1 John chapter 1, verses starting in verse 8. And what John says there is this. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then he goes into chapter 2 and he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate for the, with the Father, Jesus, the Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the first question, when we look at this test of righteousness, is have you been and are you being cleansed? Have you been and are you being cleansed? That's the first question. And we start this question by understanding that in order to answer this question, we must realize, we must realize that we sin. We make mistakes. Remember, John here is writing, John here is writing to the church. He's writing to believers to help them to know that they have been saved. And so he's saying, hey, you still make mistakes if you're a believer. There's still times in your life that you're going to trip up and fall. You're going to be disobedient. But the thing is, is that when that happens, we confess it. We don't just stay in it. And so we must realize it. The, the example here again is an example that we gave last week with Peter. Peter is with Jesus on the night before his crucifixion during the Last Supper. And Jesus bends down and begins to wash his feet and the feet of all the disciples. And Peter says, hey. Whoa, I don't, you know, this is not right. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus goes, uh, yeah, I am. And I'm paraphrasing greatly here, but he's like, yeah, yeah, I am. And then Peter says, well, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash all of me. And Peter and Jesus says, oh, you don't need all of you washed. You just need your feet washed. And Jesus's point was this. Peter had already been saved. He'd already been uh, justified 
as we talked about a few weeks ago. But what had happened is because he walks in the world, because he's still in the flesh, because he's not yet reached heaven, then he still sins. And there's little daily things that rack up and those things need to be taken care of. And so the question when we ask, have you been cleansed and have you, are you being cleansed, looks at not only this aspect of salvation, but it also looks at the aspect of sanctification that takes place daily. Are you taking, are you confessing daily? Are you recognizing, are you recognizing the things in your life that should not be there and desiring to get rid of them? Because here's the great thing. Though we make mistakes, though we screw up, though we have at times missed the mark, there is good news. John tells us, I write these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. John says, yes, you're going to mess up. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, there are times that you're going to get dirty. But here's the great thing. You have an advocate. You have one that stands between you and the Father and says, I have paid for this. I have taken care of it. You have one who seeks to cleanse you daily. Not just once, not just once, but daily we take our sins to him. So this first question, in, have you been cleansed? Have you had that moment, so to speak, when you have recognized who you are as a sinner and ask him forgiveness, but also are you understanding that there is a daily need for this thing that we call confession? There's a daily need to recognize who we are, and to go to our advocate, to run to him, because we want to be righteous. We want to be more like him. The second question then looks at chapter 2, verse 28, starting in verse 28. And I'm not going to read this entire passage, but I would encourage you to go back and do so. But starting in chapter 2, verse 28, going uh, reading parts of through chapter 3, verse 10, it starts this way. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in, this, in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And then skip down to verse 9 of chapter 3. John continues on and he says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the second question then is, who is your father? Who is your father? First question was, have you been cleansed? Have you had that moment when you've confessed your sin and allow, and ask for his forgiveness and then are you continuing that process as God continues to mold you into his image the second question is who is your father who is your father because John makes it clear that if your father is God if you've truly been born again as we say if you've truly been made a new creation as him as Jesus promises he will do when we put our faith and trust in him then you will walk in righteousness. Children of God live in his righteousness. 
They don't persist in the old life. They don't persist in the old ways. Now this passage has been construed by many and there's, uh, there's been false teaching about this passage that this, it means that we have no more sin. That somehow we here on earth gain perfection. That if you're a believer that while you are here it is possible to get to a point where you don't sin anymore. But that's not true, and that's not what John's saying. I love what he says here in verse 3. He says, in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. What's he saying there? He's saying that what will be has not yet become. It's not yet happened. In other words, we will at some point, at the point of glorification, when we join him in heaven or when we're called up to him in the sky, we will be granted bodies like his. We will be made perfect. We will get to the point where sin is no longer a problem. But that hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And therefore, we still have sin, and we deal with that the way that he talks about in chapter 1, as we confess and seek cleansing. However, however, that doesn't give us the right, it doesn't give us the freedom to continue on sinning however we want, to continue on living however we want. That is not a sign, that is not a, a signal that someone has been born again, that they are a child of God. Rather, that is a signal that your father is someone entirely different. Verse 10, there at the end, he says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. This is the idea here that those that are children, as John would say, children of the devil, and before any of us get high and mighty or too depressed, one or the other, let's remember that all of us were in that state at one time. All of us were under the slavery of Satan and our enemy as he sought to control us. All of us were in that spot. But if we continue, if we have or find ourselves in that spot now, what we find is that we continue to sin. We continue to do whatever we want. We continue to find pleasure in the things of this world. We continue to find pleasure in the things that God says are wrong. And here's the thing. When we're lost, when we don't understand well what God offers us, that sounds better. It sounds better. We don't understand that sin corrupts and that sin will always harm, that it will always destroy us. And so we think to ourselves, that sounds better, just living the way I want to live. But I love the way C.S. Lewis puts this. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, says this. He says, it is not that we desire too much. It's that we desire too little. And he goes on to say that we are like the, slum, the, the beggar in the slum who would rather play with mud pies because he doesn't know what it means to go to the beach. Paraphrasing a little bit there. But that's the idea. And we do the same thing when we are not believers, when we do not live in righteousness, if that is not a part of who we are, we, it is not that we desire too much. It's that we desire too little and we would rather play with our mud pies. We would rather play with those things in our life that seem valuable but have no value at all than to take pleasure in Jesus Christ and what he desires for us. We would rather live a life in captivity, then live a life of freedom. 
John is not saying, John is not saying here that you will never sin. John is saying you won't want to. He is saying that you will desire better things. You will desire the Lord. And if that is evident inside of you, then that is a sign. It is a it is an indicator light that you are his, that you are his child. So that's the second question. The third question is found, or the third question is based off of chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. 16 says this, it says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. And I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And then verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Unfortunately, this morning, and I want to apologize for this, we don't have time, nor is the, inside the scope of what we're looking at this morning, to, to ish, deal with this issue of sin that leads to life and sin that leads to death. We want to look, I want to look here, I want to focus your, your sight, I want to focus your mind rather on this idea of perfection that he brings up in verse 18. Verse 18, he says that we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. The third question is, do you live in his protection? Do you live in his protection? I don't know if you're like me, but in the course of my life, there have been times when I've struggled with certain sins. And it seems like every morning I get up and I pray and I, I do my quiet time. And in that quiet time, I, I ask for forgiveness for sin. And it seems like there are times and, and periods of my life when I'm, I'm doing the same thing and I can't, can't get past it. And I go through my day and I find myself right back in that same pit and I'm like, ah, I did it again. And I confess it again and I go to him. And then the next morning it feels like I, I do the same thing. And at some point, Satan begins to speak in my ear and say, hey, you can't, you're, you're doomed. Like, you're just going to do this forever. You can't get away from it. You can't run from it. It's controlling you and it will always control you. But here's the great truth of this part of chapter 5. When he says that God protects him and the evil one does not touch him, do you realize that if we are children of God, that he gives us the power to resist those temptations? He gives us the power and he himself protects us so that we do not have to stay in that cycle. So that we do not have to continue to go back to that same place and do that same thing. But rather he gives us the ability to, to run to him and grab a hold of him and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Lord, do something in me. And he is faithful to do just that. And he is faithful to set us free from that sin that would control us. That sin that would bog us down and keep us from living the life that he would desire us to live. There's great freedom in this. There's great freedom in this. That God protects his children. Just as a father protects his children, so our heavenly father protects us. 
if we will run to him. But not only do we run to him, but in doing in living in his protection, it means that we also look out for one another. Verse 16 says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. If you look over in James chapter five, James shares something very similar. We looked at this at the beginning of last year. He says there my, in chapter 5, verse 19, My brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Not only do we live in his protection, but as brothers and sisters, we should be looking out for one another. We should be praying for one another that God would protect them as well. We should be running after one another. When we see a, a brother or sister straying from the truth and going down a path that is not going that is going to lead to harm, we should run after them and grab a hold of them and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Come back this way. You're going the wrong way." If you see, if you see a friend driving down the wrong way of a one-way street, you're going to start honking. You're going to start calling them on their phone and saying, "You need to turn around." You see someone walking in front of a car, you're going to knock them out of the way. We should have the same love for brothers and sisters in that when we see them walking away from the protection of the Lord, when we see them walking into danger, when we see them walking in temptation, that we run after them, that we knock them down if, if that's what it takes and say, I love you too much to allow you to continue this path. Please stop. Come back. Come back to the God that loves you. Come back to the Lord that saved you. Come back to life abundantly. Come back to freedom. Don't be slave to this sin anymore. So we have these three questions. Have you been cleansed? Have you had a moment in your life, a time where you realized that you had broken the relationship between you and God because of your own actions and that there was a penalty for that and you ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Do you look for cleansing daily, understanding that we are still, we are still human and we still live on this earth and therefore we're going to still make mistakes. We're still going to have times when we don't hit the mark. We don't do exactly what He wants us to do. And rather than just living in that, rather than just ignoring it, you take it to the Lord and say, please forgive me for my sins today. Please forgive me for my shortcomings and help me to be more like you. Is he your father? Do you make a practice of confessing sin and, and running towards him and walking and wanting and desiring the things that he desires? Do you sense that inside of yourself? Are you like my sister in that? It, you don't have to be told to do something, but rather because you are a child of his, you desire it. Or do you desire your own ambitions? Do you desire your own comfort? And do you live in his perfection, knowing that he desires to free you from the power and, and the persistence of sin? That he desires for you to live life in a way that you could only imagine What do these questions say about you? What are the results of this test for you? 
Do you sit there this morning and you listen to this and you go, yeah, like I see this change in my life. I see this difference. I've had that moment where I've confessed. I have moments daily where I take things to the Lord and and I've watched him free me from the power of sin. I've watched him free me from that addiction. I've watched him free me from that sin that just keeps bugging me day after day after day. I've seen him give me more life than I ever could imagine. And you look through this test and you open your heart up to the word of God and you say, that looks like me. Then this morning, I hope that you rejoice. Because God has done something great in you. You are his. You are his. And no one can change that. Nothing can change that. There's peace in that. On the flip side of the coin, do you find yourself this morning trying to justify things? Do you feel uncomfortable this morning? Do you find yourself going, well, I'm... I don't have this exactly right, but I'm close and, you know, at least I'm doing better than that guy over there. Do you find yourself acting, I I love, I love being the husband of a teacher because I get to hear stories, but do you find yourself acting like a fifth grader who has just failed a test and you're like, well, I couldn't study last night because my dog was chewing on my leg and I just couldn't figure out what was going on with life and so I didn't study Or Johnny so-and-so was talking the whole time, and so I didn't hear that part, and so, yeah, you're going to have to... Is that how you feel this morning? Don't ignore that. That is the Spirit talking to you, saying something's not right. Something is wrong. And maybe you felt that last week when we talked about obedience and you're like, eh, I don't, this isn't exactly right and that, that doesn't describe me. And I, but, but, but I've come to church for a long time. Going to church for a long time doesn't make you a believer. If God is doing, if you're uncomfortable this morning, if there's something going on in your heart, there is a reason for that. Don't ignore that. Come to the Lord and ask him, why do I feel this way? What is going on in my life? Maybe, maybe you've just lost focus. Or maybe this morning, you have not really trusted in Christ for your salvation. You have trusted in other things. You have trusted in your ability to check boxes on a list and say, I did that for Jesus and I did that for Jesus. But you've never trusted in him. You've trusted in your ability to do something. Maybe you've trusted in your church attendance. Maybe you've trusted in something else but you've never put your faith in him and he is warning you this morning you are walking the wrong way you are not passing these tests and there is a reason for that turn around know me know who i am know forgiveness know joy know life abundantly stop being a slave to these things you want to be a healthy believer? Do you want us to be a healthy church? Then we can't ignore we can't ignore when we're not fit, we're not passing the test. We can't ignore it when our spiritual blood pressure and cholesterol are through the roof. We need to take care of these things. We need to bring them before the Lord. We need to help each other with them. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're just going to have
a time of response this morning. Maybe this morning, like I said, you're one of that group that with that first question up there that you find peace in the answers, and you're sitting there this morning, you're like, man, I, I, this is describing me, and as I read these passages, something good inside me stirs, and I'm, I'm excited, and I'm thankful that these are a part of my life, and, and this morning, I hope that you rejoice. I hope that you sing at the top of your lungs about what God's done in your life. But maybe this morning you fall more under that second category. Then I pray this morning that you would not ignore that. That you would go to him and begin asking your own questions about why you feel that way and what he is trying to teach you and what he is trying to tell you in your heart. And that you would surrender to him this morning and respond appropriately. Maybe that means giving your life to Christ this morning. If that's the case, then I would love to talk to you about this morning. I would invite you to come up and, and we can have a conversation or you can pull me off to the side after service. would love to talk to you about that. Maybe this morning you just need to come to the altar. That's fine too. Maybe this morning you just need to grab a friend and say, hey, I need you to pray for me about this. That's good too. But this morning, don't ignore that. Don't ignore that feeling that's going on. Do something about it. Let me pray with you, and then we'll have that time of response. Father, I come before you this morning, and Lord, I, Lord, as a pastor, as a pastor, it scares me to death that there are some sitting in this place this morning who don't know you. They think they do. They think that they've, they've been confused. They've, they've been taught wrong or they've been whatever it was. But they have trusted in something other than you as their Savior. And Lord, they are still under the penalty for their sin. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open eyes. That you would use this test that we talked about today. That you would use these questions that we talked about today to stir something in, in our hearts to say, we're not, there's something not right here. we got to get it right. We want to be healthy. We want to live the life that you have for us. We want to go on adventure. We want to, to have peace. We want to have rest. We want to have joy. We want to live this life that you have put in front of us. Lord, I pray. Lord, help us to be honest this morning with ourselves. Help us to be honest with you so that we may know you. Father, in the same way, I pray, Lord, that those of us that know that you are ours, know that we are children of God, Lord, that we would not hold back but that we would worship and that we would testify, that we would tell the story of what you've done in our life so that others may know. Father, I pray, use this time for your glory. Use this time to speak to your people and let them speak back. We pray this all in your name. Amen. You respond this morning as, as the praise team play, plays. Amen.